Welcome back to Hacker Hangouts on a Saturday morning, and we are, uh, we're all quitting. We're all quitting cybersecurity. We're never, no, that's not, that's not true. It's just, we hit this level of frustration in the industry, and it's funny. We started the conversation after stream last week of, have we just become jaded in our, our old age and gray beards, or have we, or, or is the industry at like a tipping point? Is it getting better? And that's what we're kind of discussing is, is it time to quit cybersecurity and move on? Or is there still like fun and joy to be had? Or are we all doomed? I don't know. Do you guys get this at all? Have you had this feeling where you're like, do I quit cybersecurity? Because there are like frustrations and maybe we'll go into those in a minute here. I'd say that there's always frustrations, right? But that's with any job. And yes, we do get old and we get jaded and hair color in, in our attitude towards dealing with folks and many different things. But uh, being able to have something else that has an out that is something outside of technology definitely helps. Well, have you ever wanted to leave technology? Actually, here, I'll, I'll throw it to Gowry. Have you ever just wanted to leave a cybersecurity? And I know you have stories here. And have you ever just gone, I want to go into a different industry? I, I mean, I, I did leave cybersecurity. I no longer work a cybersecurity job. And I have to tell you, it's great. Now I just write code and I don't care about how bad it is. Uh, no, that's not true. No. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. But no, I, I, I did leave cybersecurity. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a couple months out now. And I have to say, uh, I'm going to take when I graduated college, the commencement speaker or one of our commencement speakers was our dean, uh, Carla. She got up uh, in front of everyone and gave her speech. And she said, you're you're your career is an amusement park. You don't go to an amusement park to ride one ride for the entire time you're there. So go out and try different things. And, you know, granted, I was in cybersecurity for 15 years. I did it six years in the Navy, and then I spent eight years in my last position. Um, you know, so what, 14 years, going on 15 years, something like that. Uh, plus a gap year where I was studying it in college at the same time that I was working. But anyway, um, so I was in it for 15 years. and I have to say that I think there is something to be said for that idea of going out and doing a lot of different things. Um, cause I'll say I was scared to leave it because, uh, it is a technological change and everything. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, now I write code and I don't care about how bad it is said the happiest man on earth. Um, no, uh, I think there is, something to be said for getting out of the realm of cybersecurity and seeing how uh, software and uh, to some extent hardware is engineered outside that context because it gives you a better idea of how to be a better cybersecurity person and then make the decision whether or not you want to do that again. I do miss it at times um, because it is a, a completely different world, uh, but I, I think it is uh, it's nice. And I'm not sure whether or not I will go back to a position in cybersecurity. We'll see. Um, now on the technology side, I know a, I know a non-trivial number of cybersecurity developers, analysts, uh, everything in the realm that have started buying and managing their own farms. And that should tell you a lot about what cybersecurity does to a person. Wait, hold on. To clarify <laughs> here, we're not talking server farms or hosting companies. You're talking actual no, I mean, farm. Yeah, like I have yeah, a buddy yeah, of mine. Yeah, I have a buddy of mine that lives, I believe he lives in Colorado. Uh, and he just has, he's got 
you know, livestock. He's got fully, you know, he's got a full homestead and then he does pen testing from his house. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure his goal is to just pay for the farm and then eventually he'll fade into the ether and never touch a computer again, except for what's running on his thing. I own half of a plum farm. Um, I have two friends that uh, own their own farms and then another one in the cybersecurity realm that is asking me, you know, what does it take to start that? And I'm like, well, land, but you know. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I think the, the frustration I've hit recently is I've, so historically I did pen testing application network for the longest time, 15 years. And then I started my own company. And as I started my own company, like most people, if you start, if you love cooking, you don't become a restaurant owner because then what you do is you're not spending your time cooking. You're spending your time running the restaurant. And as my started my business and as I've grown it, it's pulled me away and I've hired people to like replace a lot of the stuff I'm doing. And one of them was this awesome practice lead who did a lot of the penetration testing while I still was involved. He handled it. He had this great opportunity to go off and do something really cool that he's been wanting to do. So he turned in his notice and I wished him the best. Like it was, it wasn't even one of those things like, Hey, let's negotiate. It was like, Hey, Alex, I have this cool opportunity I've been wanting. And it's like, dude, go, go do it. That's awesome. Like it sucks for me, but like, let's, let's, whatever it's, it's good for you. And it's pulled me back into the testing, which is, which is great. I go back, go back to my roots. But what I found is now that I'm returning, I am so jaded at, at security <laughs> in general, because like, here's an example. Like it, there, there's two pieces of this. One is like, we'll say the politicking in the dichotomy of testing. And part of this is probably another one to talk about, which is this whole idea of the better I do as penetrate a uh, penetration tester, the better and more vulnerabilities I find I lose control after I write the report, I hand off my findings, I hand it off to the client. I lose control of the communication from because usually my client is the security lead. I lose control of how they communicate those vulnerabilities internally, which what that often means is the better the security team does, the worse the developers look because that's that's how it's often presented, which is so not true. Like I just did a development training talking about this it as developers you have a herculean effort especially when like some of the best practices coming out are insecure best practices like this is your best practice for coding and returning early and that's a whole nother thing but i've become so jaded because you have things like the uber hack like ultimately this huge hack that happened there is no amount of penetration testing there's no amount of sql injection there's no amount of this that would have prevented it because it was, it, it wasn't even like, I want to call it a social engineering activity because we've done those, but like, this is like one person open the network. And then it was like just a series of other things that have happened, but you become like jaded in the sense of like, it doesn't matter what I do. It starts feeling like USPS. It doesn't matter what I do and what I find. I really can never declare a company secure. And I'll, I'll add one more and then I'll, then I want to, I want to get Gator's opinion. I cannot imagine being on a blue team because as, as far as like the red team, the attacks, here's where your vulnerabilities are. Like at very least, like my tactics get better and they evolve and new packages come out and dependencies of dependencies of dependencies have vulnerabilities and you can find vulnerabilities to report. 
from a blue team perspective, you could have the best sim in the world, the best rule set and still like some developer somewhere or some infrastructure person needs to spin up another division of the company and then connects it over VPN and you're exposed. Like, and it keeps you up at night. The Gator, how are you feeling with the industry? So technically I'm not sure that I'm still in InfoSec or not. I still dabble InfoSec pretty heavily because that's where my passion is. But my day-to-day -day role is no longer directly with that. Uh, previous employers, uh, I was hardening different boxes. I was more of the blue team side of the house, sysadmin. Uh, I had to become the lab manager because there was absolutely nothing else going around, node logging, and having to learn how to harden to certain standards, specifically like the Stig side of the house. Uh, it was interesting and learning just what you were saying. Blue team has never been sexy as the, uh, the red team has been, oh, I just broke into whatever else. All it takes is one thing to be wrong for the blue team to take a hit versus the red team. All it takes is you to find that one, hey, and you, you did your job, you're able to get in now. So I know I got frustrated with the redefinition or redefining what a certain rule was uh, and saying, oh, that doesn't apply here. And that frustrated me, frustrated me that people didn't follow the standard operating procedures. like. It, it really bugged me so really, really, really bugged me because there are these standard rules that we all agree to to be able to make sure we get this done correctly. Here are the step processes and you can't do it five different times. No. <laughs> yeah. By the I way, Gator. Gator. Yeah. yeah it looks so, someone made a comment about your mic. I'm not sure. It's not. It sounds good. Uh, How about, yeah. Yeah. It's. It's an interesting dichotomy. I think the other piece of this, which gets frustrating, is when you look at vulnerabilities, when they come on out, it, it, I, here, using the example, 15 years I've been doing penetration testing. Outs within those times, like someone asked, like, should I go and learn Metasploit? And should I go learn that exploitation? Oh, it looks like Gator's reconnecting. Should I go learn exploitation for Metasploit? In, I often say, I say, no, there's no, there's no, like there's use Metasploit, learn Metasploit, learn how to communicate shells and how to do auxiliary modules. But I can think of maybe one or two times in my entire tenure of penetration testing that I ever launched an exploit against a server and gained a shell. Oftentimes it's using, you know, w windows trusted relationships and credential stuffing and all these other things, which are not, uh, we'll say fixable within standard like pen testing are you saying like people people putting their passwords underneath their keyboards on a sticky do or just putting it on their monitor you can't no, like, but here's the, the thing is like that this is oh wait, look, let's jump into uh, you're talking about like physical pen testing like this is a perfect example when we talk about physical pen testing we're in our we're at defcon we're in our bubble we're sharing stories about pe physical penetration testing we go and we say oh well if you carry a ladder inside the building or if you carry coffee or if you if you're tailgating and and beat their card or like we think about it even more clever and we're like we're going to grab and we're going to clone their RFID card and we're going to beep in you know what we miss here what the $5 hammer problem? What happens when I bash in the window and I steal all their laptops? What happens when I bribe their bribe their cleaning staff who are probably getting paid minimum wage and I give them $10,000 to let me in a building or just like, here's $10,000, plug this USB drive in. All of a yep. sudden, like it feels like so much of our industry is like that. It's great that we're in our own little worlds. 
we're doing security stuff and we, like you said, we're making SOPs and we're making this and we're saying, here's how you can be secure. And they're like, security, that that's great. You stay in your basement. That's fantastic. We're going to go make money because that's what the purpose of the business is. Oh, and, and, and one of the things, of yeah, one of the things that I've learned in, especially in the past three months and actively, you know, making software to sell to a customer to use depending on the industry or the sliver of industry that you're in, sometimes the security aspect isn't necessarily relevant because these things are running on like physically disconnected from the internet stacks, right? And they run a, a, a simulation and then they blow the whole thing away when they're done with that simulation, right? And so like the, th the threat model, if you will, does not like you still got to write solid software because in my opinion any software that has like a segmentation fault or, or a crash like that by itself is both a vulnerable but also b unstable so you don't want to write unstable software you want to write good quality software that is stable but am i going to go through the whole threat modeling uh effort to say like well how do i defend this against a dedicated, you know, lone wolf actor who has all the money and time in the world. No, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense to do that. Um, and we talk about this in the industry a lot, but that's kind of the the same thing that we're talking about. You can war game out one of these situations where we can say like, oh, this is like when we play Magic the Gathering. The 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 statement is, yeah, that monster is great, but it dies to removal. Well, yes, everything dies to removal. That that's irrelevant, right? Like, so we can sit in our own little bubble and say, like, well, yes, that's great, but I can defeat it this way. And it's like, well, that's that's great, but that's not relevant to the situation. Or that is, you know, you're always going to be able to find this because that's the type of people that we are. We look at these systems and we're designed, we've designed ourselves around how do I break every system that I see and every system that I find. And that's great and that's wonderful. But I think to to silk's point is that if you stick around in that world where all you're doing is breaking stuff and all you're doing is breaking the systems and you spend very little time trying to build systems to do something rather than building systems to just break something if you build software or build hardware that actually accomplishes a goal you start to learn that not everything is relevant in in these these threat models and you can break out of that jadedness like that's why i said i don't know if i'll be be going back to cybersecurity, but every time i think about it i'm like man i really miss that community even though i'm having a blast right now doing this other software development to your point gallery i i think it's important to make sure for new folks coming into the industry i had the problem to where i started my first cybersecurity job and I'm like, we must secure all the things because we can. And the old jaded man in the corner was like, yeah, good luck with that, son. I'm like, uh, it took <laughs> me years to figure out, hey, yeah, you literally can't secure everything. And until people understand, you have to be able to look at what your risks are, what's important to you. You have to prioritize that. And then you could put mitigations in place for some of those things, but you're never going to be 100% secure. And that part is where you start becoming jaded because you're never, ever going to have everything secure. <laughs> I, it's it's I, kind of an existential crisis, right? Like it, you, you broach that line of understanding security to the point where you understand that your job is almost futile. And then 
And then you have to have that moment of, is this really what I want to do? Am I still having fun with it? Even though I, even though it feels like what I'm doing is pointless. And I, and I don't think it is pointless. Just to be clear, I don't think working in security is pointless or a fruitless job or any of those things. I do think there is something to be said for the silent hero, if, if, uh, if you will, because if these people weren't doing this job, we would have banking websites that people just get their money stolen from all the time. So it is important and it is, you know, you can find value in that. It's just a matter of keeping perspective. And I guess the question to you, Gator, is do you ever get jaded about it or are you still full steam ahead on everything? So I've learned over time that you can't secure everything. And I've gone, I've taken the really long path, to be honest with you. And my understanding is that if you become a sysadmin, you learn how to build things. And then you also learn the common uh, mess ups that most people go through and do. And you learn if you're having that with a security mindset as starting as a sysadmin, going into the red teaming, going into the cybersecurity side, it helps you reframe. And for me, I've learned so much more going through and doing that. I'm not as jaded, but I have learned over time, you're never going to secure 100%, right? So that's where I, I found my happy medium to where if I can implement an SOP, that's fine. Getting buy-in from people, that's the frustrating part because that's a whole nother deal. I think part of me consulting has ruined me. Like it has ruined me for this. And mainly like, for instance, like, Ultimately, my clients are paying me for my advice, for my consulting. And that's, that's what it is. It's, it is advice. So when you find vulnerabilities or you find issues, or you find here's things you should be doing. And should is like, should is such a dirty word. Is like, it, It's, again, part all of this kind of boils down to things like if you're, if you work at Ben and Jerry's, your job, even in security, is to sell ice cream. Like you're there to support the business. Now, your job is security and things like that. But I, part of me goes, I, here's my advice. Take her to leave it. Like, I don't care what you do with it, but it's really hard not to have your, uh, your passions pulled into it and say, yeah, but you, you should be doing this. Like, I know this is, this is how you should prioritize these things, but ultimately it's like, here, here's what it is. See if you can do it. Might be having a few connection issues. I think we're all right though. If, if anyone knows saying weird flickering on YouTube, please, please let me know. I know one of the other funny ones when it comes down to security is I am amazed. I am like, like look, if you look at the Uber attack, I am amazed these don't happen. Like we know like big companies, Twitter and things like that. Here's like, here's the behind the curtain things. They're getting hacked all the time. Big enterprises. There's not even this, this thought of like someone might be able to get into my network. They know large networks, you have bad actors on your network all the time. The goal is to stop your data from leaving. It is amazing to me that major corporations aren't in the news all the time, like every day. Like businesses are not being, we'll say, ruined every day. And I think the reason behind this is most of them are but because of like it's it's like things like when breaches happen and data exfiltration it goes to the lawyers to say, do we actually have to notify them? Like, can we prove definitively that the data was taken? No. Okay. Then we don't have to notify anyone. Like part, that's the other piece where it gets me jaded is like, when you look at these, Uber, like the Uber was not a sophisticated attack and they're a big thing. Like at a certain point, is that another piece you get jaded at going like, all right. Yep. Another. It's Tuesday. Another breach. Another every. <laughs> yeah. As Gowry says, it's Tuesday. Another. Everything is broken. Vulnerability. 
it's Tuesday. Well, it's it's funny because like you talk about privacy in 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 the terms of like doing the stream and 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 being ex- having your data exposed to Google and all those things. Anyone who's ever done government work had to go through the the OPM system. And I had this like there was this crisis. Maybe it was back in like 2010, 2011, whenever the OPM hacked happened, and you know everyone's freaking adjudication files were stolen. I was like, well, I guess I'm just you know playing the shitty lottery now. You know, I'm I'm just waiting for my turn to have my identity stolen. So I I'll just keep and be diligent about watching that, but not care too much about. Um, it's not that I don't care about exposing the data now. It's just a matter of like my threat model is completely different than everyone else outside of who was exposed in that particular hack because it had literally everything, right? Like anyone who was exposed in the, into that data had enough data stolen that you could literally become those people. Like it, it it's insane. Um, and so like the way you approach life and privacy after something like that is just totally if if you're still trying to be hyper anonymous and, and like it almost feels fruitless. Um, it, <laughs> yes, I could not agree with is. you more. It does. It does. And you you also have to. It's like when I I called Gowry when I started my channel saying, do I start it with my real name or do I do a handle? And then I realized it's all it's all easily available anyway. And I realized like if my channel is going to be known, I'd rather have it known by my name than have it be like anonymous online. But also like he asked me, he's like. I'm like, well, my name is attached to my business. My business is attached to my address. And he's like, it. who cares? Like, if someone calls you and says they know where your house is, let them know to let you know when they're going to be by so you can pull your pants down and make sure you give them a show on the way by. Like, this is like where, where it's like, eh, do, should we even care about privacy? Uh, someone asked a question it's, is, yeah. oh, go, go on and then I'll get to the question. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you know someone's full name and their rough region they live in, phone books exist. <laughs> like, <laughs> Printed ones, weirdly enough. Yeah. I just saw one. Uh, Blank Dash asks, I'm going to pull it up on screen here. Alex, since you were in consulting, how inter- intertwined with legal aspects? For instance, I find myself a better consultant, including legal regulations and reports. So... Yes, actually, it's it's kind of fun. As I've since I started the business, I I have a weird passion for legal and contracts because they fit together very much like programming. You have like your declarations up at the top, like you're declaring your variables. It's really weird because any if you look in a contract, every capitalized word is supposed to either have a definition or an understood definition, and you could read. You could actually write a contract where you say anytime the word yes is capitalized, it actually means no. Now, whether or not that would stand up in court and things like that, contracts are really not meant there to govern the relationship. They're there for when crap hits the fan. But I think the reason why I've started coming up with such a passion for the legal regulations is it it gives additional value to the security that you're doing. Let me give an example. If your company does a ton of business-to-business transactions, one of the things that they probably either have or want to go after is SOC 2. The way SOC 2 works is you have a list of controls, things like you have to have a change management process, like you need to have an SDLC defined. Here's where it becomes kind of interesting. You have to have an SDLC defined, a security development lifecycle policy. That policy could be written on and cran on a napkin, still a policy. Are you following that? That's your policy and procedures. And then you have to satiate evidence. 
what you can do as a consultant in leveraging this, this legal aspect is that you can say, okay, I've reviewed the policy. It's not a good policy. Here's a better policy. Get the business to adopt it. And then you can spend your job building out the procedures to satiate that policy. And then if you get pushback, oftentimes you can point to it and be like, hey, we all agreed to this. Here's the policy. And we need to satiate it in order to hit SOC 2. You can have a good SOC 2 auditor who will actually go through and care about security. You can have a check in the box SOC 2. <laughs> Ultimately, yes. both of them give you SOC 2. Here's probably an analogy for it. If you are buying a house, you want a very good inspector who will come through the house and give you all of the useless crap and also all of the good crap so you can make an informed decision. If you're selling a house, you want to get the cruddiest inspector ever because you don't want them to write anything down on the piece of paper to slow the transaction. Ultimately, both of them end up with a report and both of them end up with like, okay, a check in the box, but they're very different. So that's, that would be, I do like the legal aspects. I do think it's tremendous value. This goes back to something Gowry said, which is side projects. And when you're in this like breaking, hacking, things like that, I think there's tremendous value to flip to the other side on making. Like that's one of those like hobby projects. I've had two really big ones lately of building pieces of software. And let me tell you, if you're a developer comes into security, you, your eyes will say are open because you go, oh, there's all these different ways to attack. I can better secure my software. When you go from the hacking aspect to the programming aspect, you cannot get anything done in your software because every line you write, you're like, oh, shoot. Okay, I opened my, I'm using Firebase. I opened up a connection to be able to create a document in my database. Oh, wait. Okay, so I need to actually restrict someone from accessing this. So I now need to make a claims database. Oh, now I need yeah. to lock down my claims database. Now I need to do input validation for that. And you get down this whole realm of you go, you haven't even actually started making your app yet. And you're so down the hole of security. And you start, <coughs> I, it hit me as I was doing this in this like almost mad laughter, joker like laughing in my office because it hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is why people don't write secure code. And I don't mean that and like uh, it doesn't exist, but in order to fully secure this one line of code led me down 20 hours of programming. And then after all, uh, after all of that, I then did another 20 hours of all the unit and test cases to assert success or fail. So when I pushed code, I wouldn't break it with reg regression. So I guess that it's good to create things. But be very careful, like going down these other paths because you might just um, drive yourself insane. You know, on the flip side of this is that leaving security and going to write software, it's 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 been fascinating to me because I've talked to quite a number of, of systems engineers who haven't worked in cybersecurity and haven't really looked at what happens when a buffer overflow occurs other than memory corruption. And the the idea of how you can create software can be very constrained by living within the box of here are the features of a language that are available and here's what I can do. Um, one of the most recent things that I made involved intercepting system calls. And once you're once I've intercepted it, what do I do with it? Well, you have to ask two questions. What's what what can I safely do within the context of the operating system? And by that I mean what's what's not going to cause instability in the operating system? And B, 
what can I do that is going to enable me to be stable and still accomplish what I'm trying to do? And one of the things I had to do to make this happen is write raw assembly trampolines. Am I breaking up? You're breaking up a little bit, but I heard I heard raw yeah. assembly trampolines. Yeah, so I had to write raw assembly trampolines to get out. So long story, but like I was dealing with signals and I was dealing with intercepting syscalls and I ended up having to go like, well, I'm back in this context and if I just use raw C, it's going to corrupt the state that I'm trying to save. So I had to start writing raw assembly to make sure that I very carefully save the state. Everyone that I showed the code to afterward, they were like, why do you do this? And I went through it down the explanation. They're like, how did you come up with this? I was like, this is very common when you're writing exploits, right? When you're writing something that actually takes use of a vulnerability, uh, like a, a stack overflow or heap overflow or these things, you end up having to write these little chunks of assembly. And once you learn how to write those little chunks of assembly, you learn that, oh, the CPU will do whatever I tell it. It doesn't care. <laughs> right? Like that's when you have those moments in cybersecurity when you realize that computers really do exactly what you tell them to do. And so what you learn when you when you break away from that and go to do an engineering project and you run into these areas where you you have system constraints where you can only use certain amounts of resources and the raw language is not guaranteed to protect those resources, you're like, cool, I'm just going to do this specialized thing real quick in this very small chunk of code. And is it vulnerable? Probably in the context of if you misuse this thing, it is very easy for you to write insecure code. But in the context of the, the system that we're building, I can define those rules very stringently as to how you use this and how you don't use this. And so as long as we do the review and we do the security review and we go through all this, it will be fine. It's just, it's a very interesting process to say, like, to see people who are very accomplished system engineers and then bring some of that security perspective out, no longer in the perspective of actually doing cybersecurity and say, hey, here's a bunch of new programming techniques that you've never seen, right? Or that 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 are just gonna you know make a product better and actually accomplish the job where we were struggling to accomplish the job before it's 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 a cool thing i think by the way when you say raw assembly trampoline i interpret that like back to like c.s lewis and aslan going i know the deep magic like i was when there you, when it was written <laughs> when you get down to that level i just do crack up where it's like okay it's not often i need to go all the way to assembly and i only i, I it's very very rare like i think the last time i went into assembly world was to do a, a bypass for CrowdStrike, where i needed to actually like encode part of my 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 encode my egg hunter in a piece of memory so it wouldn't actually be able to pick it up it was picking up the scan either way i digress but every time i do that i do get like that's maybe this is a good way of saying it <coughs> hold on this cough is just not going away so like this is the thing i get excited about like legitimately excited about it i am so sick of when i do penetration testing and things like that where it's it's the same crap like and I use the example, there's a, there's a piece of software called Death Star. It's great. It's, uh, I believe, Byte Leader who, de who, who wrote it, or uh, Byte Leader. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's just like one of those things where I recognize the name, but I've never heard it pronounced outside of myself. But he writes like Silent Trinity and these other attack platforms. And Death Star was to automate 
this whole pen testing path. It's a big tree of decisions. You can call it artificial intelligence if you really want to, but ultimately I handed a shell and then it goes dump hashes, try those hashes. Can I escalate privileges? Excellent. Call the domain controller. What access do I have? Give me a list of the trees and everything like that. I can actually access, go log into those systems, continue to dump. Am I domain admin yet? No, continue on. I am so sick of doing those attacks because they're just ongoing. When I get to this point, the thing that gives me so much joy is when it's something new. And I think that's what the the core of my jadedness is in the industry is the reason I got into this industry is because I'm 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 curious. I always want to be learning something new. I want to be able to rip something open. I think that's why I've been building software on my as as side projects. I want to constantly learn something new. Is that the core of the jadedness? You get comfortable in what you're doing. Yep. And then you've lost you've lost the joy and the joy the joy of discovery. In okay, I while Gary's saying yes, I'd also say it also depends on the team that you're working with. If you're doing this solo, I could see that happen. If you're building and working with other team members, whether you're a two-person shop, upwards of an entire group all working in cybersecurity, uh, I don't think that's necessarily the same. I would say that it would it depends on can you depend on your other team members? Uh, how are your interactions with your users? But this is also coming from my point of view with my experience. So everybody's got a different one there. Yeah, I think. Like, I mean, go on. Uh, all I was going to say was, I think that's part of it. Um, you know, I'll say in my last position, a lot of the frustration came from the fact that we could see what we needed to do. And then it was difficult to enact that. And that's probably very similar on the uh, pen testing side where, you know, you go and you do these, you do report after report and, you know, see time and time again that the same vulnerabilities come up or the, the same mistakes come up. You submit the reports, you come back next year and barely anything's fixed, right? But you you do the report again, you get paid and, you know, that's that's the job. Um, part of the frustration, I think, comes from not just learning new th or not learning new things, rather, but also seeing that in some senses, how much of a difference am I really making? Um, and that's why I said building new things, you can get a, a lot of value out of that. Now, that said, oh, I'm losing my train of thought. I totally lost my train of thought. Um, I think some of the frustration comes from the lack of learning new things. I think some of the frustration also comes from even though you're learning new things, you you get that jaded aspect of I've learned a new thing that is useful and would help people, but no one's buying into it. And that's the politicking of it. And it is exhausting. It is exhausting to have to try and do that constantly. I think that is why, in some senses, there is a bigger push in the you know software development industry to adopt you know, programming languages like Rust that just do away with entire classes of vulnerabilities um, because we know people just aren't going to deal with the reality of certain things. And at first I thought it was like, eh, whatever, you're just pushing it down into a different layer. But in some senses, I think it's a good, I get, think it's a good movement. Do I think Rust is going to be the one that, that kills it? I don't think so, but that's me. I think the kicker on those ones is anytime I hear like, oh, new language, it's like, yeah, you fix this whole category of vulnerabilities, but two years later, there's this whole new category of vulnerabilities that exist. I think one of the funny ones that I've hit recently was with um, 
So I'm looking into a rich tech, a good rich text editor. I found one. There's like Mantine. I totally miss did not realize that Man, Mantine's like a UI framework because for the side project, I don't want to make my own UI co- components. For the first week, I called it Mantime because I did not recognize <laughs> it was an N on the end. So I finally uh was typing in the domain and I'm very happy I noticed that as I was typing in because I don't really want to know what that other domain is. Um <laughs> I'll leave that one there. Uh, but I, as I, uh, as I was going down this, I was looking for a rich text editor and it's based on quill JS and I installed it and I got an NPM alert saying critical vulnerability. And I was like, Oh, sheesh. Then there, they don't have a patch for it. So I went and looked on their GitHub page and there is this like, and there's a CVE for it and everything. This is like what hit this is if you want to know what hit the pinnacle for this conversation and why I was like, this is utterly ridiculous. It was this. I went into the, the, the GitHub page and someone reported a CVE. It was published in effectively is you have Quill JS, rich text ed- editor. You put in your, your it's supposed to be rich text. You can put images in, you can put metadata in you and put all this information in through Quill. It will go into your database, and then when you open it in Quill and have it render, it will come out just fine. The vulnerability is, oh, but if you allow raw writes into your database, and then that is rendered through Quill, there's cross-site scripting. And they're like, yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's by design. Like, we, we, you have raw access. It's made to go through the tool and out through the tool. But CVE went up. Critical vulnerability. Anyone who is using this thing now is a critical vulnerability. And now there's infighting of whether or not to fix it. But here's what I hit again. This one is breaking point was this was reported. I went through one of our clients who report vulnerabilities. This was automatically reported in through white source on their GitHub saying critical vulnerability, which yields this SLA that they need to fix the vulnerability within 48 hours, 24 hours. And there's no fix for it. And it's not even a vulnerability from the sense of it. It's like, this is where you get to the point where you just like, this is a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature. And you hit this level of frustration where you're like, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want to go into my basement. I want to do my testing. I want to do my job. And I don't want to be bothered with all the other stuff. And while that's frustrating, I want to go where... Where are the fixes? How do you find the joy? Where do you satiate your curiosity? And I know someone in chat said something about the flipper zero, which I am happy to talk about. They asked us to, but where do you find that joy of discovery? Do you, do you switch careers? Do you have to get it in side projects? Do you go find another job? I, I, I can't do side projects. I I've learned this, uh, with the, <laughs> with the exception of darknet, And even I've, I've kind of fallen out of darknet a bit. Um, but like, uh, with the exception of Darknet, which has a whole social aspect and it doesn't really feel like a side project, it feels like a, a fun time with friends. I can't do personal technological side projects. I have no interest. It just feels like work. Like I, I, I'd rather pick up my guitar, right? Uh, but at the same time, like I had to go outside the cybersecurity industry to to find that curiosity again and now i'm 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 learning this new and silk and i are going to talk about this on a future stream there's this new um uh specification it's similar to pci it's called compute express link which we're going to talk about is fundamentally like implementing the download more ram button 
And I'm not joking about that. It is like, oh, you, you seem to have exha exhausted all the RAM on your chassis. Would you like to create a new physical link to a chunk of DRAM on some other chassis and use that RAM? Literally download more RAM. Um, and there's all <laughs> kinds of cybersecurity aspects to this, sure. But it is a brand new realm of like, there's, there's only a, probably a couple hundred people in the world that are really looking at this. And what do we do with this from not just a hardware perspective, but a software perspective. And that, that sense of sit down and you would talk about imposter syndrome, crank your imposter syndrome to 11 because no one can even answer your questions. You have to go read a 900 page specification to figure out what anything does and sit down, read this, learn something new, and then try to produce something of value it's a scary realm to live within, but at the same time, like week over week, I'm finding these small wins and small areas of, you know, self-enrichment that I feel like it's, you know, the, the, the term would be bankable work. Um, and I think when you stop finding that bankable work that makes you feel, you know, uh, engaged, that's when you need to go find something new. And that's, I think, the, the uh, amusement park analogy works. When you find yourself having exhausted all the rides in the amusement park and you're just riding one over and over again, maybe it's time to find another amusement park. Mm -hmm. Gator, what about you? How do you find so, joy in your job? Do you actually still find joy in your job? Is it all monotonous? Is it terrible? You know, so I tell you what, I am still enjoying my job. I'm in the same job three years later. I, there are so many opportunities at my current location of employment that I'm never bored. Uh, the the day job that I'm doing versus all the side projects that I'm side projects that I'm doing inside of work I think is what's keeping me super busy which is awesome because I've got to the point where my regular day job I've got handled pretty well there's still some curveballs but because I'm able to help grow other people I'm able to go through and start building more communities again it was like the perfect fit which is amazing and I get to play with security all the time uh, and dabbling in to see which security I want to more deep dive into. In the past, it's been more platform side of the house. Now it's going more to the containerization side. And that's a whole nother talk about being able to find something new to learn. If I was just continuing to work with platform, I would probably be bored. At the beginning of this year, I, I pivoted a little bit. And oh my God, is there so much more to learn? So I was able to pivot in my same job uh, and be able to still scratch that itch to learn something new, which is great. But I've also had other jobs in the past where I couldn't do that at the same job. And I had to pick up and move to a different location. Or uh, one of the, uh, the nine month stints was, hey, you're going to come and do this job. That job never came. And then they eliminated the job. I'm like, OK, well, here's my two weeks. I'm out. <laughs> so you have to be able to search and go after your passion. And if the job isn't fulfilling to you, hey, go give something else a new try. If you want to dabble in it in your after hours, to see if it's something that you're really interested in versus switching an entire career, that's going to be very different per user. Um, I think, or per person, I should say. I think so much of this really sounds like this. It's like, it's just like the struggle I have with YouTube and other ones where it's like, here's the circle of things that you're, you want to do. You're good at that. You're, you're having passion about and you're satiating your curiosity. Here's the stuff you can actually get paid for. You have to find that that middle section, like uh, by all means, like I know like my dance career is having struggle taking off, but like no one's going to pay me for that. I mean, Gowrie sends me, uh, uh, we, we tick tock back and forth. Uh, no, no, I'm just 
What? But I think like yeah, if you something... turn if you turn the camera into the other corner of the room, there's a pole there. <laughs> I, something Gowry said resonated where he's talking about this this bookable work. I think one of the the struggles I'm having is like my business partner says this. He says, despite remarkable success, you can feel like you're failing because oftentimes there is this this pickup of new work. You push it off and. Just like in a, a, just like in a restaurant, there's chaos in the kitchen. Like the chefs are wa- walking around. The one had to take off. A new one came in. And it's chaos. But the people actually eating don't notice any of this. Like they're having, they're having a great dinner. They're having great conversation. They're loving the ambiance, and it's chaos in the back room. And despite, despite remarkable success, you can feel like you're failing, and that's that's burnout. That's how you lead to burnout. And I think that is, that's the core of what I'm struggling with is despite remarkable success, you can feel like you're failing. And then that lack of curious, satiating that curiosity, uh, struggle I'm having too, is I'm, I'm split in too many areas and that's with business, but then also in personal projects where it's, you're doing after hours work to try and satiate part of the business. And that's not a, not a great recipe. That one's, that one's on me. Yeah. Do YouTube. That's what it is. <laughs> Full time. That's the. That's the. That's why I can't. I, I've. I've learned this, and I learned this uh, year over year doing doing darknet to some extent. Um, it, it's a lot of work to pick up and do. Like, I have a lot of friends that automate their homes themselves. Like, they build in the automation into everything. They have their sprinkler systems on the automation system. Every light in the house, they have you know, an entire rack of computers in there and then servers in their basement. And they, they have the media all wired up to do, to do anything full, full blown smart house. Right. And I'm like, how do you find the time and energy (laughs) to do that? What kind of job do you have that allows you to worry about a raspberry Pi has crashed on my property somewhere? I need to go find it and replace it. I can't even like, I, I, like I barely, when I get off of work, I don't want to stare at a computer anymore. I want to go pick up my guitar and, and like have dinner with no devices around me. Like <laughs> so I, the only I, I electronic, the only electronic that I have, <laughs> the only electronic that I have in my bedroom, other than my phone, obviously, because I charge it on the nightstand, is overhead speakers. Right, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it it's funny because I feel like I like. We hit this part recently, which is this idea of, I hate the word busy. There's two words, should and busy. I don't like the terms. I, I don't like the terms. One of the reasons I don't like the word busy is because I had this coworker at my like couple employers ago, and she would always come in every day. She started her day busy. She ended it busy. She would complain about being busy the whole time. And part of that is this whole like sense of pride. I'm important because I'm, I'm busy. And part of it was also you're like you're you're just going like oh gosh I'm I'm so slammed right now and I I started hating the word busy because I realized that like anytime someone says they're busy it's saying I'm more important than you and then you go you transition to this whole idea of that's not a priority it's not a priority for me it's not a priority for you and then I feel like recently I've come to this like it's not it's it's not a priority for me right now and i love that way of saying it because all of a sudden it's not a priority for me and then the person you're speaking with it it might be a priority for them or maybe they're willing to help you and then you have this whole lord of the rings situation that happens and they're like in my axe and i will help you out finish that like i like this idea of it's not a priority for me but what i found is 
my priorities. It's like the 101 productivity thing. You need to readjust <laughs> your priorities and make sure you're yeah. actually scheduling fun. And this is yep. something like yep. one of the weirdest <laughs> things I started doing the last three days. And it's been great, which is this whole idea. And again, three days, not long. I know like, woo, he's setting a new trend. Personal best. <laughs> schedule. I know. It's like you're, you check three boxes by actually scheduling time and go, okay, this is the time I'm going to go play with my kids. This is the time. And it sounds ridiculous, but I found like it's very easy just to work forever other without actually scheduling oh, yeah. that time out. And then being remarkably sure. selfish with your schedule saying, nope, can't do this. This is more important. But reprioritizing like what what's important. Example of I Absolutely. haven't done a video on my main channel. And it's not that it hasn't been a priority. I go, there's just other things I need to prioritize over that. Things like my roof leaking, my bathroom, picking out tile, being sick, and the whole family being sick. And then you start going works piling up and dealing with that. And then go, yeah, but then this is where I've been struggling with. You go, but all that stuff, which I haven't prioritized, is all my fun stuff. Like, I've pushed all my fun stuff so far down I have now spent, and this is like, I hit this weird realization of going, I have spent more time looking at a computer and a screen than the real world. That is terrifying. And I think a lot of us are in that position. I mean, best thing I ever did for myself was get a dog because it forces me to go outside. <laughs> like I, I now have a set time because my company's on the West coast and I'm on the East coast, three o'clock, the company on the West coast, uh, three o'clock Eastern company on the west coast they all eat lunch together so i go to the dog park there in you the go. middle of the day and i just let him play with dogs and I, I talk to people there and i go oh right not computer world it's like we sometimes we get into the the sense of like outside what is outside yeah you hiss at it now one of the things i would say interesting to that is that scheduling has definitely helped me as well silk uh sticking to a schedule helps when it comes to like doing other projects outside of work, there is so much I want to learn still. My my to-do list is always stacked, right? And then prioritizing, what am I learning this week, this month, this quarter, versus what's being pushed off? And then when you've got kids, they start growing up, and then you start realizing, hey, they're not always these small things that can't interact. Oh, they are starting to interact. Oh, they're starting to read, and they're interested in doing things too. I also need to make sure that I'm... Uh, working with them, whether it's building something, building a Lego, whether it's going through and uh, doing like a Kiwi box or a hacker box, uh, sometimes just going outside and playing baseball. Uh, I came from the the whole cabinetry and farming side of the house into cybersecurity. So I'm like, ew, take it. Just that's <laughs> over there. I finally got here. Just don't touch it. And then at the same time, it's like you need to walk away sometimes. And if you don't have that scheduled walk away time, you start getting burnt out mentally, physically, spiritually, however. And if you're burning out, you're not producing your best work. So, yeah, you got to schedule that time. So schedule your project times. It definitely helps. Schedule that family time. Schedule partner time, et cetera. It, it, it is amazing how often I've heard someone struggling with a problem. And for myself, too, like, again, even with pen testing, you're, you're bashing your face. You're not getting a foothold. You're rolling your face across the keyboard. And then you step away. And if I would have continued going six more hours, I would have still been bashing my face. And then you walk away and you're like 15 minutes away. And like, right, usually for me, it's like when I'm showering because there's no electronics there. 
you have a breakthrough in the shower. I cannot tell you how many times soaking wet I've grabbed my phone and wrote a note on my phone because it happened in the shower. Need to start showering more. That's probably what it is. Like (laughs) last thing and then I'll last thing and then I'll I'll, we'll probably get ready to wrap up. But it, it happened to me recently. I said in in the last month, I've been spending all of my time just researching this new specification, researching this new system and trying to understand the entire ecosystem and feeling like every time I got a small foothold, there was just like a whole new well of information that I just got exposed to and feeling like I'm never going to get to the bottom of it. Never going to get, I woke up one day after like a really good night's sleep, nine hours, whatever it was. I woke up one day and I just had this feeling of, Oh, I get it. Like, like not, there's not any one tangible thing that I took away from it to be like, this is the missing piece. I just had this mental model, like after a week of, of like sitting and and resting and trying to write notes and put my thoughts together, I woke up one morning and I was just like, I can now talk intelligibly about this. Whereas the prior day, if you had attempted to get me to just walk you through the whole thing, I'd have been like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Now I feel like I have some small idea of what I'm talking about. And I understand the ecosystem enough that I could, I could give a presentation on it. Right. Even though by no means am I an expert in this realm. It's, it's an interesting, like, it's an interesting process to have that happen. The last time it happened to me was in college where you just wake up and you're like, I think I understand. (laughs) I don't know what I understand, but I think I do. I know the meaning of the universe now. Someone had asked uh, Flipper Zero. I'll mention that. I'll mention it more. I actually have one, and I think Gator has one. It sat mostly as a paper de- paperweight on my desk because I really have no use for it. It gives me joy when I play with it, but I haven't had time to schedule it. But this is like this goes in line with almost any hacking device for me. It sounds so arrogant when I say it this way. I have been in this pen. I have been in this world pen testing for a long time. These serve zero all zero purpose Z- this zero most hack five devices they're they're built they're maintained i have never used one in a physical pen test i've never used one in a network pen test i'd rather write some of the code myself and use that because i understand it and it does what i want it to however i've still bought one why because it brings me joy and i own a bunch of the hack five devices because they bring me joy and I get to mess around with them and play with them. And I think that is the core of what you hit in this industry is like, yeah, d- there's no, and that's okay. It's completely fine. I'm, if you need, <laughs> if you need an anonymous person on the internet to approve your purchase, if you are financially able to do it, you have my approval. You can take this, take this clip. <laughs> you need, if you need this, it's there. But like, it's okay to buy things for the sheer joy of not having a purpose to buy them. And it's something I have struggled my entire life with is, can I buy this? Ah, I don't have a purpose on it. Can I buy this? Ah, yeah, but I don't have a purpose. YouTube was the first thing I just said, you know what? I do not need this camera. I do not need this light. I definitely do not need this microphone. I make zero money from this podcast. Like I have a negative amount in that or, or my channel. But I, this mic brings me joy, and if it brings you joy, you weigh that against financial and all that, you do that balance, but go off and buy it. You want a flipper zero? Go find one, go buy it, and have fun with it. Don't do anything illegal. <laughs> Gator, do you have anything else to add with flipper zero? Uh, flipper zero is an awesome toy. Um, 
it is a tool as well. And much like Silk, when it comes to different Hack 5 gear, I've bought most of it over the over the years. Some of it's overpowered, some of it's underpowered, depending on your use case. For me, running a hackerspace and or also giving briefs on getting people into cybersecurity, uh, helping people understand the risks and the devices that are out there that are cheap, that people can be using to hack your organization. Having that physical device to be able to show them how it works has been an amazing, oh, a light bulb moment for people who are not in the cybersecurity industry. So that part I've enjoyed being able to show those off, being able to show them examples. Um, when it comes to, are you doing this on the physical side of the house? That depends on your job, right? Or if, if a buddy, just like a pair of lock picks, right? Are you gonna be lock picking everything all the time? Probably not. Do you want to learn that skill and how to use that tool? Yeah, it's a it's a fun tool. So it's also come in handy a couple different times. That that being said, yeah. though, we're at we're at time. Gallery, what do you have for us? Uh, I'll just finish that thought, which is you know, uh, learn to lockpick. That way, instead of hiding a key outside your house, you just hide a set of picks. <laughs> that way, no one can find your key. Gator. There's always more to learn. You're the one setting the pace and you can't learn everything, unfortunately. So be specific with your time and make sure you love your hacker family. I think with so much of this, I think it is about prioritization. It's finding that joy. You really, you have to, you have to search after that joy you're having, whether it's in technology, not in technology, uh, get away from the computer, love your hacker family and hack on.